The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. Uh, S here, as always. Lauren, what up? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, we got game one of, of Lakers Warriors tonight, and I, I can't wait for that one. I said, yeah. I think the last time we recorded, I said, uh, I feel it in my bones that that is the round two or the, the next matchup that we're going to see. So it, it felt uh, inevitable. It, it really did. did it did. I hope it doesn't take over too, too much with the NBA news cycle. There's always new news, but it is going to be quite it a will. series. So I'm excited for it. We'll, we'll we'll get to the second round in a second. I don't know if people can hear uh, that my voice is is being lost a little bit here, getting the sniffles, you know, getting down with a little bit of the cold. Might have to call call good old Steve Steve Dangle and and get a sick day tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but we'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm losing I'm losing it, folks. The the voice the voice is going very very slowly, and that's why we had to get this podcast out here before the Lakers and Warriors game. Uh, otherwise, we would have loved to be able to talk about it on the podcast. I mean, game one, LeBron, Steph. Uh, we'll, we'll preview it in a second, but there is some housekeeping we got to do. Number one, Joel Embiid has won the 2022-2023 Most Valuable Player Award. He is officially the MVP. Uh, I think for most people, they were leaning towards Joel and, and Embiid winning it by the end of the season. I think it had just swung that way with how people were kind of assuming, you know, Embiid. It was it was about time, you know. Uh, I I always I always say this, but like sometimes I think the narrative and and all the dialogue around the MVP didn't help Jokic's case. If anything, it was just building further and further arguments against it. And I, I as much as I don't like the fact that that swayed voters, it eventually does. Um, and that's not to discredit Joel Embiid. I think Embiid had an incredible season, absolutely dominant, won the scoring title, did everything he had to, you know, uh, I mean, his impact, I would have argued that he probably should have won MVP last year. We've, we've already kind of rehashed this Lauren, but I mean, I'm happy for Embiid. I guess that's the, the, that's the crux of this thing. I mean, the fact that this is a guy from Cameroon who picked up a basketball at the age of 16. And now many some years later, after missing the first two years of his career, which is something not a lot of people remember is like this man was a top pick and missed the first couple of years of his career. And then ended up, you know, there were even questions about him getting drafted. If, if some people will remember the Joel Embiid NBA draft meme of him being really sad, going to the process Sixers. And now you have this full circle moment of him, you know, finally winning the most valuable player award. It's really crazy. It's a profound story. In all honesty, it's, it's just, you know, from, from his process, from his side of, of going from where he was in Cameroon to, you know, becoming the MVP of the best league in basketball. I mean, that's, that's about as incredible as you can get sports story wise. So I don't want to take away from anything from him. He finally mm -hmm. won the MVP. We'll see what happens with him and the Sixers. And we'll get into the Sixers and James Harden in a second. Ooh, um, but I, I guess, you know, your thoughts on Embiid winning it. Yeah. Well, the the first thing that I want to say, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up kind of his journey to the NBA. And then as he's arrived and, and kind of through and evolving to, to the player that we have today, um, I think it's it's important because I think this is one of the top kind of missions for the NBA is to continue to expand the game on this global level and continue to incorporate players from all over the world that have all these different backgrounds and have I mean whether it's your LeBron James son or you come yeah. from nowhere and nobody expects anything of you. Um, it, it's I think this is what the NBA one of the best things about the NBA and so to see all of these different stories and to see Joel Embiid continue to have to overcome the injuries, the adversity, just all of the different things, and then find himself in this place where he, he takes this home, this award. And 
uh, I think it's I think it's really special. And and sometimes we don't always get to hear from players maybe how much awards mean to them because sometimes it's like okay, well you don't want to take away from the team or you don't want to take away from the winning. We don't always get to hear these things, and so I don't know what all we're going to end up hearing from Joel Embiid on this, but I think it's a really, really special thing for him. Um, and I, I think, and, I, and then the, the, the other thing that I wanted to say about the narrative voting is whether you agree with it or not, it's one of those things that you can't, you can't take out of the equation. There are always going to be, there's always going to be the narratives. There's always going to be the, the voters that, that yeah. weigh it a little bit more than others. And so I think it's important to remember that it is a factor and whether you agree with it or not, you can't, discredit it or take it out of of what ends up being the mvp race each year i agree and i think uh to a similar in a similar way when the guy has won you also can't take that away from him anymore we talk about russell westbrook on here uh and it's been a while since russell westbrook has been an mvp caliber player in this league but you're never going to be able to take away that MVP from Russell Westbrook, who had an incredible season, triple-double, right, was was insane, led the Thunder to to an incredible playoff berth. It was it was incredible, especially after the, the departure of KD. That was – those are all – you know, I just mentioned the narratives of it, right? That was just the story behind right. Russell Westbrook's MVP. And then James Harden, you know, feeling slighted for not winning the MVP, ends up winning it the year afterwards. So, like – these stories, these storylines that we we kind of talk ourselves into end up being a huge part of the MVP narrative, whether we like it or not. Uh, and Embiid's, you know, that's part of it. The battles with him and Jokic. I think when people look back on this 20 years from now, 30 years from now, they'll say, oh, man, this this uh, th- these last <laughs> couple of years have been the battle between Jokic and Embiid. And let's go back right. and let's look at these stats and let's see who actually was the MVP, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Isn't that what's so fascinating, though, is that so many people will knock the narrative voting. But when you're reflecting, right, it's often the storylines. You're not going to necessarily recall, oh, this was the team record. This was the individual right. stats. This was the advanced stats. You're recalling yeah. the narrative. And so um, I think it, I think it's all fascinating. And, and I'm, I'm glad to see he he took this one home. For sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy. And like I tweeted this out earlier, but you can't take away the MVP from the person. He is forever now cemented into NBA history. You go and you look at at the the MVP award. You look at the past winners. Every single person in there is a Hall of Famer. Everyone makes the Hall of Fame from there. And I, I, there's no question in my mind that Embiid will end up making the Hall of Fame as well. Now he can worry about the next important thing, which is an NBA championship. And we'll get, again, we'll get to that in a second. I really want to talk about the Sixers and what happened and James Harden looking like Houston Rockets, James Harden. We just talked about his MVP award. I mean, he looked like that version of it. Um, But I want to talk about something that happened today, which was Shams Trania reporting that Dylan Brooks, the Memphis Grizzlies have told Dylan Brooks that he will not be returning to the team next season under any circumstances, those were the words that were used. Um, I'll just quickly say, I think the language that that report used, whether it was, you know, a source from the Grizzlies, whether it was the Grizzlies themselves that notified Shams or whether it was someone else, that is incredibly damaging for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, Dylan Brooks is a free agent this summer. There is obviously he has lost a considerable amount of money and value over the last month or so, whether it be, you know, the the whole LeBron James playoff thing, refusing to talk to the media and then, you know, doubling back on it. He He's really look, I'm not going to lie. A lot of the stuff that has happened to Dylan Brooks over the last month or so and even throughout his career is self-inflicted. It's he, he's gotten himself into these situations. So I'm not trying to put the blame on that, but the way the Grizzlies uh, approach this, uh, and I, I personally can't help but think that it is the Grizzlies that we're putting this out there. I just don't think that it's beneficial for them. It seemed puzzling to me that this would even get out there on the ether. And if it was a competitor, let's say it was another team that somehow got this information and leaked it out. I also just feel like it doesn't put the Grizzlies in the best light. If you're doing this to your players, Dylan Brooks has given a lot of his time and a lot of his effort and dedication to the Grizzlies franchise. Uh, he was obviously, this is where he he built his NBA career. I think you owe it to a guy like that, even regardless of all the craziness that has happened over the last year or so, him becoming the heel, the NBA villain of the world. 
I think you sort of owe it to other players, how you're perceived in the NBA sphere to not treat a player like that, to not do the under any circumstances. Okay, cool. You don't want to re-sign him. You don't want him to be a part of the future of the, of your team. But to go ahead and be like, under any circumstances, we're going to use this language uh, to to say we don't want Dylan Brooks back. I don't see how that's beneficial to the Grizzlies. So I, I just think that's a bad look. Do you do you agree by any chance? I, I do agree. I think there's a an element of professionalism that should be expected for from all teams. And so uh, to see the timing and the tone of this entire situation to just turn around and say under no and under any circumstances like it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um. I would bet. I have no idea, but I would bet that this did come from from the Memphis Grizzlies because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for in my in my brain it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Dylan Brooks camp to come out with this because of course not that yeah. could you know hurt his value or, or or affect his value one way or the other in an already um depleted market in in, a, in the free in terms of free agency and, and potential contracts he could be getting um and so for for Memphis I think you hit it right on the head when you're talking about you have a guy who's been a key piece of their identity and culture for the last, you know, however many seasons. And then you get eliminated from the playoffs. You turn around, you know, not even a week later and, and you just pretty much discard him. I think that that's a pretty bad look. And so uh, I'm curious if any more details will come out on that situation, but I don't think it's a great look for them. Uh, and I do wonder how they're going to kind of recoup and what their plans are. Uh, if it really is just in, you know, continuing to develop internally. And, and I'm sure we'll dive into that more here in a bit, but um, I just, I don't think it's a good look for them. And I don't think it necessarily sends a good message uh, or, or ends the season on a good note. Obviously you got eliminated. You're not ending on a good note, but yeah. you can try to, Hey, we'll be back next year. Oh, well, thank you, Memphis. Thank you, whatever. But to, to end, this will be the last thing that people remember is what happened with Dylan Brooks. And that is not a note you want to end on. I agree. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, it goes without saying that this doesn't necessarily help his value that a team, a team that he has been with for such a long time is, is just going to discard him like this. Uh, I don't think that helps the situation in any way, shape or form. And I, I'm curious how the Grizzlies approach this now, because the only way, I mean, they could have traded him at the deadline. They decided not to, they didn't, you know, we talked about it at the deadline. Why didn't they go for an OG and an OB? Why didn't they try to, acquire maybe a wing or, or whatever. I know they tried to get Mikhail Bridges and the Toronto Maple Leafs just scored a goal. Uh, so it is now two one uh, for the Florida Panthers. Anyways, th just a little hockey update for the folks here. We're watching the Maple Leafs. Yes, we're invested. We're back on the bandwagon here. Um, I just think, you know, with the Brooks situation, speaking of Canadians, it's a very, very interesting uh, dilemma both for Brooks and both for the Grizzlies. So if you look at it from the Grizzlies situation, okay, they had the opportunity to trade him at the trade deadline. They decided not to, and now he can potentially walk for nothing. So do they try to institute a sign and trade? Maybe they try to sign and trade him somewhere, but if they do do that, then why would they go ahead and just lower his value by reporting this? Or, or even if they didn't, why was that put out into the ether? Right? So I, I think that's my First question, and then the second part of this is, where can he potentially go? Where are some teams that want him? And I want to preface that by saying that if you think all the jokes and stuff like that is funny, him, you know, obviously being the heel and then now being the butt of the joke, obviously it's hilarious. I saw a picture the other day of Dylan Brooks's face, and it had like the NBA playoffs thing, but the P was his face, and it just says layoffs. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny, ladies and gentlemen. Twitter is for jokes, and sometimes it's incredible work what you guys do on there. Everybody's stand-up comedians. I don't dispute that. I think there are some funny aspects to this whole thing. The fact that he is completely – like he went from NBA villain to butt of the joke in a matter of a couple of weeks is funny. That's funny. But he's still a good NBA player. He's still a solid rotation player. He's still a great def great defender. He's probably going to get some old defense votes this year. We'll see when the results come out in a couple of weeks. And I think he can be useful to a lot of teams. We're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns in a second, but that's a team that makes sense because they need guys and they don't have a lot of wiggle room flexibility money-wise. So it makes sense for him to go for them to go after him. 
Another team I mentioned to you in passing is the Dallas Mavericks. I think, hey, you guys are missing wing defenders. The 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 defense was a huge issue with, with Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. And now you have the opportunity to do that at an affordable rate because Dylan Brooks is not going to cost you the potentially $20, $25 million that he would have three weeks ago. So I, I just think now teams are going to pounce on the opportunity of getting this guy at a low value. It's a buy low thing. And I think a lot of teams would be stupid not to try and go after him. Despite the, the craziness, despite the, all the, the drama, the, the villainy that goes around, around Dylan Brooks. I think teams will do it. I think there is value in a guy like that. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think there, there's value. And, and for the, the main reason you said he's going to get all defensive votes. And so there, there is always going to be a need for guys like that. Um, the way I kind of look at this situation and from what I've seen from Dylan Brooks in terms of the shot selection, the the things that he said to the media, I kind of am approaching this as I expect him to go out and seek money, the most money he can, which is why I'm looking at the teams that have space and the teams mm. that maybe could facilitate a sign and trade that don't have a ton of hurdles to jump over. And those teams are not contenders. And so um, for for that reason, I kind of, I kind of do wonder if his priority is going to say, okay, well, maybe, you know, my name's getting dragged through the mud or whatever the case may be, but I'm still a really strong defensive player and I've proven that and I've been on a really solid team in Memphis. This is my time to, if I'm going to take a shift and, and my public image just took a hit, I need to, I can't go to, to, to Phoenix or I can't go somewhere and just sign for, for an MLE or a, you know, I can't, I can't do that. In my mind, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm at like kind of the 15-ish right now for Dylan. That's kind of where my mind is at just because of how strong he is defensively. Um, but I, I, I lean Houston, and, and the, the reason my, my mind goes to Houston is because they have the cap space. I think they have the flexibility to even sign him uh, to the point where it, the contract structure where, where they have the option to not have him long-term if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. But I think hiring someone like Ime Udoka – I think they expect to really kind of get things going. And I, I think Dylan Brooks would kind of slide into their identity and their culture uh, of just the hustle. And so I, I, I see that as being a possibility. I am curious if he comes out or if his camp comes out or what starts kind of leaking out into the universe, if he is interested in kind of taking a smaller contract in a short-term situation to kind of rebuild his his brand kind of a, in, a, in a way Malik Monk did in terms of just going somewhere, having the cameras on you a lot, a lot of nationally televised games. And then all of a sudden you're kind of this highly sought after asset. I would be interested to see if that's something that he has interest in. I just don't right. know what to expect from him. That's a really interesting perspective because I didn't consider that because that that goes back to like what Dylan Brooks views himself as. Right. If he's looking at this as, oh, I need to get a payday. Oh, this is this is time for me to get as much money as I possibly can, and that's that's the way a lot of players view this. I mean, there's there's a chance that let's say he does go somewhere, signs for the MLE, he may never get back to that twenty twenty five million dollar range. So let me go and get my paycheck right now, and then I can go ahead and be that fringe rotation player, the three right. and D guy that people want me to. So I understand that, and there are reports that you know potentially he want he wanted a larger role. And that was something that the Grizzlies and him were at odds at this entire season as well. So I could see Houston being a destination given the fact that, yeah, okay, there's going to be shots available there. If a James Harden doesn't go back, yeah, there's going to be more shots available to him. I could also see a a situation like the San Antonio Spurs being like, hey, okay, let's take a flyer on this guy. Maybe Popovich can mold him into this kind of defensive stopper and maybe harness some of that villainy that we've talked about over this last couple of 10 minutes, maybe even the Detroit Pistons, right? Just, just yeah, a team Detroit's that is a good one. Charlotte, a team that is trying to find an identity, uh, maybe even an identity defensively. I know Steve Clifford with the Charlotte Hornets, that that's a huge aspect. It's like finding a defensive identity and mm-hmm. a guy like Brooks can provide that. I actually yeah. think that would be a really good fit for them. I, I, 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I go think ahead. There, well, I think that there are lots of different paths that this could ultimately take because I, I could see as you were talking about like Houston and, and even Detroit, I think that there are teams that are, are like, okay, well, what could this guy look like if he gets a little bit more shots? I think if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan, you're like, oh, well, I've seen what it looks like when he gets all the shots and it's not pretty. Um, but I would be curious to see what that looks like in a new situation. And so when when I'm throwing out, De- or what, what, I mean, you mentioned Detroit, but Houston or some of these teams that his his supposed role would be either increased or even a little bit undefined. Um, those teams, I don't necessarily think signing him or, or committing however much money to him would necessarily mean that, oh, we are locked in on Dylan Brooks as a part of our future. We've seen Detroit time and time again sign guys, bring them in, flip them at the trade deadline, and continue to just build and contribute to this core. So there's yeah. that element, too, of what teams might say, hey, Dylan Brooks – we can bring him in and then use him, flip him at the deadline. There's that element of it too. So like I said, I think there are a million paths that this could take. Uh, and I am curious to see which kind of starts to gain the most traction when he is kind of putting feel- in his camp or putting feelers out there and getting an idea of what his value is, what his market value is, who all is interested in where things might head. I will say something got brought up in a group chat of mine. Uh, and I'm interested in it, Lauren. I'm not going to lie. I am interested in it. Obviously, there's the Christian Wood situation in Dallas. You never know what's going to happen there. Uh, someone brought up a, a, a double sign-in trade. Mm-hmm. Christian Wood to the Grizzlies. Interesting. Brooks to the Mavericks. And now the Mavericks have their defensive wing stopper. The Grizzlies have another option as a big man. Hey, maybe this this can work out for both sides. Um, uh, I don't know how you feel about it. Because I, I, obviously, Christian Wood... I would say, uh, I don't even know. I actually don't even know because cause they're yeah. both such like they're both such like Question weird marks. enigmas in <laughs> yeah. the NBA where it's like I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And <laughs> I like I'm curious to see where you're at as a Mavericks aficionado here. Yeah, um, it's an interesting scenario. the The sign and swap, the double sign and swap, is something that I still am like. I'm in, I'm kind of confused on because the rules of when you do a sign and trade, yeah, the yeah. financial rules, I, I am having tr- I, I don't quite know how all of that translates, but say I, I think it has to be like they'd have to be very similar in salary. They would have to be the... like almost the exact same. And so um, even that could get a little bit funky. But uh, as far as swapping the players from from roster to roster, sure. I think it could be very interesting for Dallas because based on I mean the context clues that Dallas has been putting out. I don't expect Christian Wood to be in the Mavs uniform next year, just, just from what I've seen. And, and so I would love to have him back. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I eat my words on that, but if they are operating under the assumption that that situation has run its course, I think they absolutely would welcome a Dylan Brooks. uh, If it means getting something back as opposed for losing him for nothing. Yeah. I will say Dallas trying to pursue Dylan Brooks without the Christian Wood situation in mind, say they were trying to facilitate a sign and trade with something else. I don't really know how aggressively they would pursue that because there are the question marks of him, um, of Dylan Brooks kind of going on these stretches where he, he is aggressive in his shot selection and and taking that away from Luca and Kyrie. That reason, I I think that they might potentially deter from that situation or from that potential target, uh, but I would be interested because right now Dallas is is kind of operating from a position of of desperation a little bit I think and so um, you never know you can't you can't continue to turn things away especially when it's you have a top defensive player uh, something that you 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 really need right now. They are my favorite Dylan Brooks destination. Uh, I just, Dallas. Yeah, because I just think it. <laughs> I just think it makes so much sense. Like how many times have the Mavericks like seen a guy? And everybody is kind of down on the guy. And they're like, yeah, we'll take him. Bring him, bring him over here. Sure. How many times has that happened? How many times has it happened where they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, come we'll, on over. We'll, come on over. And, <laughs> and re- recoup your value over here. I feel like that is um, such yeah, a staple of what the Mavericks have done for that is a very true. long time. For as long as I can remember. Um, and and I don't know. I think I think it sort of makes sense to what their ethos is. It it definitely fits a team need in terms of that three and D. Three is is I'm that's a heavy. I don't know if we can even mention. Three. <laughs> that's a little generous. <laughs> a defender, a, a wing defender, a I will strong, say. reliable, a defender. strong, reliable wing defender, and that's important. He's he, they the, the Mavericks clearly needed that at the end of the season. That was the exact type of defender that they required. 
there's a lot of other things that Alex Mavericks need in order to be able to fix this roster around Luka and Kyrie. But I think the fact that they don't have the financial flexibility to be able to do something like this, maybe buying low on a Dylan Brooks makes a lot of sense for that team because yeah. he won't cost them the $20, $25 million that they don't have. He might be an MLE guy. He might be, you know, so like, who knows, I guess, is yeah. is my my whole thing. But I, I somehow, some way, Dylan Brooks will be a fascinating free agency decision this yeah. summer. I think j- for both w- reasons, and yes, this is a little USB. I know, I, I, I saw that. I was like, what am I seeing? <laughs> <laughs> I am. So this is, uh, we, we finally got our wedding video in the mail. And this is a little tiny USB that has all the wedding files <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm just playing around. I told That's you I'm cute. a fiddler. I'm I was a fiddler. gonna say it's the it's the it's the it, need the it's need the to, need to fiddle. I'm fiddling. Yes, I love uh, it. I love it. Yeah, for the people who might be audio listening, just go on YouTube real quick. Twenty ish minutes. Yeah, in you, and... you got to see what he's holding because I promise it's not what you expect. It's a big smile. Ding. <laughs> um, all right, folks. I think this is probably a good time to do the to do the old uh, swingaroo. Uh, let's talk about it. Look, it is the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen. Get in the game and make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Bet before the game or live in play on all your favorite team matchups. Bet on the Panthers. Don't bet on them. Maybe bet on the Maple Leafs. Maybe don't bet on them. Head to sports, sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started. 19 plus. Please play responsibly and i believe as i was doing that ad read the maple leafs just scored another goal michael bunting isn't that the guy who? that's a sign go put your money down yeah yeah go do your thing okay look let's talk about the nba playoffs uh again we we just did the ad read for the playoffs so we might as well talk about the playoffs second round action has got underway on sunday uh we had knicks versus miami jimmy butler was incredible miami stole a game and, you know, the Heat are playing right now in game two without Jimmy Butler because he hurt his ankle at the end of that game. Very, very tough to see. But they're out for an extended period of time after this game. They're off until, I believe, Friday or Saturday. So that that gives Jimmy Butler at least about a week to be able to rest and be ready for game three. Julius Randle is back. So that's going to be a big part of this uh, you know, matchup in this equation, how he looks. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But I, I think this series is so interesting to me because I still don't know where I lean. I I know when we first did our podcast last week, I'm like, oh, I could see Miami. Oh, I could see New York. And, you know, after Miami stole that game in, in the garden, game one, they seemed unfazed. That was yeah. the craziest thing to me was was that Miami did not seem – as bothered as the Cavaliers did at the Garden. They did not seem phased by the loud noise or the crowd or any of that. And I think that just goes back to veteran experience. You have guys like Jimmy Butler, who's been there, done that. Kyle Lowry, been there, done that. Bam Adebayo has a lot of playoff experience now. Kevin Love. So I just think these guys are so experienced that the allure of the Garden is not going to phase them as much as it would have a very, very young Cavaliers team. I think that's a big factor in this series because these yeah. teams are so evenly matched. How do you feel after game one and a half, I guess? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, as much as game one was very entertaining and, and seeing Miami handle it the way they did, game two, halfway, almost ha- we're almost at the halfway mark, is just leaving me that much more com- confused. Because Miami's currently holding a one point lead and Jimmy Butler's not on the floor. And so yeah. I I will say something from game one that I was like, oh, New York, you have got to make this adjustment. Jalen Brunson had a phenomenal game. And then in the fourth quarter, there was just a lack of aggression from him. And and I don't know if that was from him or from Tibbs or 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 whatever, but there were times when I was like, these possessions, they are not having effective possessions. And Jalen Brunson is either not on the floor because he he hasn't been subbed back in yet, or he is on the floor and he hasn't touched the ball. And so that was a little mind-blowing to me. And I think that kind of comes back to the experience. I think you got to be able to to stay calm uh, and stay focused. And and I I, I believe, I can't remember who said it, but I feel like somebody, um, one of the announcers was talking about Miami and how they were, you've just got to stay calm. You got to stay focused. And so um, I think 
Miami has a, a sneaky edge. And if they manage to steal tonight's game, I, I mean, I'm kind of already at a loss for words that they stole that first one. And so yeah. if they can pull this one out, I will say Julius Randle, has, he looks like he's moving okay. He looks – I've seen him knock down a three or, or maybe even two. I mean, he um, has so 18 I, at half. So, yeah, he, yeah. He, he, looks, he looks pretty good to me. And so I'm not as worried about Julius Randle and, and with this quote-unquote sprained ankle, assuming that that really is what it is, having the time off that you mentioned, I think is going to bode well for Miami. And so I think heading back to South Beach – I'd feel pretty good if I'm them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we'll see what happens uh, at the by the end of this game. I mean, it could be 1-1 and we're headed to Miami. Jimmy Butler comes back and, hey, we're in for a long series. Or it could be 2-0 Miami and now they're headed back to, to you know, Miami. And it's going to be a really, really tough challenge for New York to try and win both games. You don't want to go down 3-1, especially against this Miami Heat team, as we've seen the Milwaukee Bucks do. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, this is this is as much of a must-win as it gets for New York and their chances to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I will say I've been really impressed with R.J. Barrett, uh, especially since the Cavs series went to New York. And ever since he, uh, you know, I believe one of the commentators was saying that, you know, he's, he's changed his shooting pocket. It, oh, he, right. moved it, he moved it a little bit to the left and it's helped him with his shooting form. And I think above that, even more than that is just the fact that he's found a consistency. He's found a rhythm really using this as a developmental playground for himself to figure out what he can and can't do, how he can be impactful on a basketball court, getting downhill, applying pressure to the rim, really focusing on, you know, picking and choosing his spots where he wants to be aggressive. I think we're really seeing a guy like RJ Barrett shape into form. It's funny because you look back at that draft class with John Morant and Zion Williamson and RJ at the top and everybody, man, I, I remember people were like, those three are the three, right? Mm -hmm. Those three are the top three that we can see. And obviously we know what's happened with Zion. We know what's happened with John Morant. They are now in that upper left echelon of, of stars. RJ hasn't cracked that. Yeah, and maybe he does, maybe he never does. But I think the fact that he is very slowly figuring out his own role in the NBA, he's become a very, very good starter in the league, I think that's important. And maybe that goes to next season and the season after that. I think the development is important regardless of what happens with the Knicks in these playoffs is the fact that your younger players in an R.J. Barrett, in a Emmanuel Quickly, in a Quentin Grimes, they're getting these necessary reps. Yeah. And who knows? Miami stole a game. On the other side of the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers also stole a game. I mean, they, Tyrese Maxey literally stole the game. <laughs> literally, quite literally. Oh, Absolutely Malcolm. insane. That was bad. I will say, I will say, so I've watched a million and one basketball games in my life. I might be at a million. I really might be. I, I would love to know. If God... Could give me the number at some point. Just pl plaster it on a wall for me. Just put it somewhere. I, I want to know because, like, man, since I was, like, 10, like, it's been 18 years. I, I just want to <laughs> see how many games I've truly watched. This is a lot, okay? So I every time that there's a shot clock violation and the team ends up grabbing the rebound or stealing the ball, the, the refs will immediately wave it off and they'll be like, no, 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 shot clock violation. you got to start off. Start back. They didn't do that this time. Malcolm Brogdon threw the ball right to Tyrese Maxey. The shot clock expired. They did not get him to stop it. They did not get them to inbound it. It just reset. He had a fast break layup. I love that. Play the advantage. It is, is mind-boggling to me. It happens in so many regular season games where a team will have a great defensive possession. They'll get the rebound or they'll get a steal. And it'll be a shot clock violation. They have to reset and and face a, a set defense. Let them play in transition. Let the advantage play out. So I love that part. The the, the big storyline, obviously, is James Harden and the way he looked. And we talked about Joel Embiid at the start of this. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, when he was doing his interview with with TNT, he said, "We'll see." To game two, I would be very very shocked if he plays in game two. But at the very at the very least, this provides a cushion, a major cushion for the Philadelphia 76ers. Because now let's look at it like this, okay? Let's say the Celtics do tie up the series tomorrow. Okay, all good. 1-1, headed to Philadelphia. 
And now there's the potential that Joel Embiid returns and it's a zero zero series best of five. And, and there's an opportunity here. Oh yeah. Upset. So I, I just, James Harden, I think that is his best playoff performance of his career. Yeah. Given the stakes, given the circumstances, the fact that they didn't have their superstar, the fact that he hasn't necessarily looked like that in a very long time. He went out and played prime Houston Rockets, James Harden basketball, and won a game in the garden for the Sixers who were missing their MVP. It's just yeah. an incredible performance. What do you think of it all? It, I, it was, it was mind-boggling because every time, every single time, he, he hit him with a dribble move and then hit the step back. I was step like, back, yeah. every single time I was like, my God, he's just not slowing down. You kind of expect, okay, well, playoffs are dragging on. Is he going to get a little tired? Is this going to happen? What's going to happen? But he just, he was locked in and it was, it was pretty unbelievable. Um, and, and one thing I think right now, if you're Philly and you have this opportunity to potentially go up to, oh, which that would truly shock me. I, I do expect yeah. Boston to bounce back, but, um, Boston had, I mean, you had the, 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 I don't want to say middle guys, but you had the Marcus Smarts, the Al Horfords. These guys had really solid games and they dropped it. And so you can't expect those quote unquote middle guys to have stellar performances every single time to back and, up. And Brown and Tatum were amazing. Like, and they were. And so that, I mean, that's, I don't want to say concerning. You can't take away too much from a game one because there are a million adjustments that get made. But if you're Philly, you absolutely have to build on the momentum that came from this performance. And, and I mean, from an outside perspective, expecting it to be going to, to be one, one going back to Philly um, again, Philadelphia is in a great spot because when they come back, if they do get Joel Embiid back for that game three, I mean, you've got Philadelphia rallying around this MVP. I mean, yeah. it's, it is building up for quite the, the kind of battle Royale, um, for the Eastern Conference, and 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 obviously there's there's a lot a lot of ways to go, but I think a lot of people have their eyes on this series, uh, and rightfully so. And so Philadelphia, I'm curious to see if they come out of the gates, if they are you know red hot, building on the momentum from Game One, and how Boston responds because they are going to find themselves in quite the hole if they just expect this to be a Game Two win, and I don't think that they do. That's not what I'm saying, but in the event that it is, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be really tough to get out of that hole. I actually think uh, that has been the curse of the Boston Celtics all season is the fact that they've sort of just slow walked their way through games. Uh, we saw it with the Atlanta Hawks that they they were truly just kind of playing with their food. They they really weren't able to close out games, and that's why the Hawks ended up pushing that series to six. Um, I saw it numerous times in the regular season with the Celtics. I mean, ask any Celtics fan about those two games against the Orlando Magic. Uh, they really, they just were unable to close out games. They have this attitude where it's like, oh, we will figure it out. We'll, we'll get it done. And I, I understand that. I think from a, there is a perspective of like, yes, we trust ourselves to figure this out and get it done. And there's trust in the process. There's trust in the system that they've established. But I also still wonder if they have that next gear that they can tap into. We've seen before that, hey, the Golden State Warriors, when the going gets tough, there is that other gear that they can tap into. We've seen before that like guys like LeBron James, uh, when their going gets tough, there's another gear that can be tapped into. But this team hasn't necessarily proven that yet. They haven't gotten to that level where they have shown that they can do that consistently. Uh, I think that's a serious concern. I think the fact that even even beyond this series, let's say they go and they, they beat the Philadelphia 76ers, I think the fact that they have this lackadaisical attitude about them. Uh, the fact that they are kind of on cruise control for a considerable amount of games, even in the NBA playoffs, I think that's a concern. Uh, I don't feel as confident as I did when Milwaukee was upset that Boston is the clear cut, you know, favorite to win the championship just because there just seems like there's so many questions around this team. Now uh, they don't seem like they're built for the moment in in a lot of ways maybe that's the coaching thing like a lot of people have brought up joe Mazzula and his inability to make some decision makings and he's a rookie head coach and whatnot but i am curious i will see i mean like they shot 59 percent in game one from the field which is ridiculous and and 
Tatum scored nearly 40 points. Jalen Brown had 23. Brogdon had 20 off the bench. This was a good Celtics game. They played mm-hmm. well. And they just yet, couldn't close it out. They couldn't close it out. And James Harden was absolutely amazing. I, I'll say on the the Sixers side of thing, I, I've written about this before, but they found a formula without Embiid. Uh, it was going to that small ball lineup with B-Ball Paul as their center. And B-Ball Paul, Paul, Paul Reed was amazing. He was setting some great screens for Harden, getting him open. But the, you know, the tertiary guys were great too. Tobias Harris was awesome. Tyrese Maxey was great. P.J. Tucker, who didn't even take a shot the entire game, was great defensively. They went back and leaned into that Maury Rockets basketball, and they allowed Harden to flourish that way. I think even when Embiid does come back, when he comes back at some point in this series, I think that's something they can go to when Embiid is resting, and maybe that's yeah. a solution to their non-Embiid problems. So I, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought up B-Ball Paul because what Paul Reed has done for them, he's he's allowed them to be versatile in a way that maybe people had questions going into the playoffs if they were going to be able to do that effectively in a playoff setting, going against a team in a series night after night. Um, and so I think B-Ball Paul's earning himself a lot of money, and uh, it's good to see. And, and DeAnthony De- Melton has also been pretty strong for them and has allowed them to when when uh, Tyrese Maxey and James Harden, if they need to lean on somebody else, they can lean on DeAnthony Melton. And so yep. you've got these guys stepping up in the absence of Joel Embiid. And if you're if you're Doc Rivers and you're trying to envision this team going going the the full distance, I think you're you're getting a lot of green flags with with this group and and in terms of asking everyone to step up and, and prove that they are also willing and capable to go the distance. Do you want to talk about Suns Nuggets? We have to. Yeah. Woo. I mean, I, I hate I hate having to do the victory lap every episode here. <laughs> this is not fair anymore. I like come on. I don't want, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to become enemy number 1 in Phoenix Suns territory. <laughs> I I actually really like what they do. Like I love Booker. Booker's been amazing throughout the series and throughout these playoffs. Durant has struggled. Uh he struggled again last night. Um and I think there will be questions moving forward about like how they look in the off season. Uh but I I just I don't know. I, really quickly, because I want to do some offseason talk about Sacramento and all those guys, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But when it comes to the Suns, I really just believe that this isn't the gear. They've played a total of, I, I think it's 16 games with Durant. The continuity just isn't there for them to be able to rally and th- get things ready. The Nuggets have been doing this for a very long time. They have a great group that they have kept. I mean, they have a tried and true group, right? That they have been through, they've seen, they know what they're expecting. You know, their starting lineup was one of the best starting lineups in the entire NBA. They could do it in the clutch as well. And they showed that in game two when they came back in the fourth quarter and only allowed the Suns to score 14 points in the fourth. So I, I just, I think the, the Nuggets are the more well-prepared and better team. They have the top end talent to, to play against the Suns in Nikola Jokic and a Jamal Murray. And they also have the depth and the Suns. They need an off season to go out and sign a Dylan Brooks on an MLE. You know, those are the type of guys that they're going to go after because they don't right. have the flexibility money wise to go and chase another free agent or whatever. Yeah. The Chris Paul situation will be really interesting. He's going to be ruled out. They, they, you know, Sham Sterani reported that he's going to be out for the, they're hoping they they're actually they said they're expecting that he'll be out from from now till game five mm-hmm. uh and we'll see if the, the suns even last that long i mean i i'm sure they'll win a game but i just That's, think yeah it, it's tough uh and you know chris paul at his age with his contract like now you start to ask questions in the summer like hey how are we going to figure that situation out and right. the Aiton situation, like DeAndre Aiton hasn't looked the best. Yes, he has moments where he looked incredible, but consistency-wise, not not so much. So now, so now there's a lot of questions about Phoenix moving forward. And I think it's okay to be like, okay, you have Kevin Durant, you have Devin Booker, you have guys that you can trust. This is, a, a, this is at the very least a top two that you can build around. But there are questions outside mm-hmm. of that that I'm, I'm curious how they approach in the offseason. And this is maybe too early to eulogize yeah. them. But, but it doesn't look good. It doesn't. It, it doesn't look good because when you're you're in a position where 
yeah, you're very you're very top heavy, and that's great. But you're you're hoping that a campaign and Ish Wainwright, a Damian Lee can kind of jump in and give you quality minutes, efficient minutes. That's a lot to ask, and that's no disrespect to those guys because we've seen what they can do um, yeah. in certain settings. But I just I agree with you, I, and we've been saying this that I don't think it's their year that they need a little bit more time to go deal the second round picks and shape out the roster, have it more um, what just well rounded overall. Um, and then obviously losing Chris Paul, that that is a big hit. Um, I mean, I hope for 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 his sake, for for the series' sake, that it's not like that he's not out through. Is it through Game Five or till Game Five? They said that through they're expecting. Five, right? to, yeah, they're expecting to, him to be out from Game Three to Five. So okay, yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, it's hard to to bounce back from that when they're already seemingly struggling. Uh, I mean, it's just it's not. I'm having trouble seeing them power through this, even with all of that talent. And so yeah. I think that we are before too much longer going to be shifting and kind of looking to the off season. Uh, so they yeah. might just be in this next conversation with us. Soon yeah, enough. maybe we'll, we'll talk about these, these, uh, these kind of eulogies, if you will, a bit, uh, these, these teams that have been eliminated uh, the Sacramento Kings, obviously being one of them the Atlanta Hawks being another one, and then the Memphis Grizzlies. We sort of already talked about the Grizzlies with the Dylan Brooks situation mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that, hey, this is this is what they have to address now. What happens with Dylan Brooks, and, and, and yeah, we'll see what happens there. Now it's, okay, how are they going to refine this roster with that 3 and D wing? That's the guy they need. That's the piece that they're missing is – are they going to go out and trade for an OG Ananobi? Are they going to go out and try to get Mikhail Bridges again? Because they obviously tried and it didn't work out. The Nets didn't accept their offer. I think that's the piece that's missing here. I think their nucleus is good. And if they were fully healthy, maybe that Lakers series goes a different way. If Steven Adams was around, if Brandon Clark was around, that series probably does go a different way. But you're also looking at Steven Adams and saying, hey, he's 29 years old. How much do we keep wanting to rely on a guy with that much miles on his body. So now you're wondering, how do we get a Steven Adams replacement? And there's not many guys who can replicate the offensive rebounding slash screening stuff that Adams can do, but it is still a question that they have to ask themselves. Um, where do you think the Grizzlies go in terms of the summer and how they approach this, this, you know, this off season? I do think that they look to sort of get like a, not a one for one swap for Dylan Brooks, but I think that they look to, to rebound quickly and, and, and kind of find a, find an easy, affordable replacement for him. I don't know. I yeah. I'm, I'm less optimistic about the sign and trade approach just because I do think like we mentioned before, and, and my opinion right now is that Dylan Brooks is going to be seeking uh, the big contract. And so I don't expect them to get anything back from this, but I am curious to see if they try and engage in any off-season trades uh considering they have all of these young guys and they're in a position to really compete they know that they feel that and a lot of picks seeing, too right a lot of picks yeah so i i'm gonna be i'm not necessarily looking at free agency and mle's vet mins who they can bring in to kind of again just round out a roster i think that they can go out and be active on the trademark uh, trademark, excuse me. I'm not optimistic about a Mikhail Bridges. Personally, I do think I view him as untouchable for for Brooklyn. But I think the OG mm -hmm. bringing circling back to OG is is really intriguing because when you lose a Dylan Brooks, even though he was criticized for his his um, shot selection from time to time, I think bringing someone in to replace the defense to to replace the size and versatility that also can score the basketball is now more important than maybe ever. And so. Um, and, and having someone that's durable. So I think OG is, is a good call out. I'm curious to see the guys like David Roddy, Jake LaRavia, like some of these guys that they could potentially include in a deal and flip um, that have shown some intrigue. I, I'm curious to see if that's something that they pursue or if they kind of want to keep those guys secure and they're, they're I don't want to say, I don't want to use the term untouchable with, with them, but um, if they're maybe a little bit more conservative because they, they they're, they're, nucleus is still so young and they do have a lot of time and they're not quite ready to just move somebody off just for the sake of bringing someone else in that might really that might just be slapping a band-aid on something i'm gonna push back on that a little bit okay. i don't i don't think they have as much time as they say okay uh, interesting i i mean i understand yes they're a young team but 
success is super fleeting in the NBA. Things can change on a dime. Uh, and I agree that they've built a great nucleus. The Morant situation, the Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., that is a great core to build around. But now you have the assets. It's sort of like you have to capitalize on your window. Yeah. And if you don't capitalize on that window, then the moment kind of passes you. And now you're, you're, you're left you're scrambling a bit. Yeah. Um, they have assets. They have extra picks that they can move this year. I believe they have the golden state 2024 pick as well. So they, they have things that they can maneuver around. They, they have players that they can trade. They have young prospects that they can move plus, you know, multiple draft picks plus the Dylan Brooks situation. They can maybe salvage something out of. So I think this summer is the summer to get aggressive. I think this summer is the summer to say, hey, we wanted OG Ananobi at the trade deadline. We're going to include a Zaire Williams plus two picks or whatever, a three pick, whatever the offer is that the Raptors want to take in order to go get an OG Ananobi. And by the way, we're going to sign OG Ananobi to an extension. He's part of our core four now. And oh, by the way, we have Steve, Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, but we're going to go out and you know maybe sign this big man, maybe go and get a Christian Wood so we yeah. can do a Dylan Brooks sign and trade. It, like I'm just saying this is the summer now to get aggressive. Uh, because it's tough to say a year from now with the Golden State pick, the guys developing, maybe, you know, the guys start getting unhappy with, you know, the, the lack of success, if you will. I think those type of things are more real than we say. And when you have a good team, when you have a young core, you have to capitalize on that type of stuff. So I, I yeah. think they should be aggressive. I think that's fair. My 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 question for the Memphis Grizzlies front office is, are you looking at, would you be satisfied with making the move for o an OG Ananobi or back when the Kevin Durant situation blew up and you had all these picks and people were like, is Memphis a sleeper team? Is yeah. that really more of the interest in the Memphis Grizzlies front office? And do they feel like, hey, John Morant, we love John Morant. He is our franchise cornerstone. But once he is year after year securely in that Memphis, MVP conversation that's when we feel like the time is to go all in and and I think that there's I think that there's a healthy debate there and um I would be curious I think OG like you mentioned the scenario where they go out they're aggressive for OG they lock him up um into that securing him on that long-term deal as a part of their core I do think that that's a path that they should really consider and I think that that's the right path for them um but I am curious to see if they think internally that okay we're not in the we're not in the running we're not in the game for an OG and an OB. we've we've got all these picks we've got these young players that we've held on to we we are <laughs> good god I can't <laughs> we are we are holding out for the Kevin Durant the Donovan Mitchell whoever comes available next um, yeah, yeah I'm curious yeah. If, if that's where their head is at I get it I get what you're saying from that perspective I am very curious to see what they do because it feels like they're in a position to be aggressive and yeah. if they if they end up doing that then sure uh if they end up staying the course I can understand as well but I would be I just disagree with them being I patient. would too I'm with you I, I, I think um another aspect of the Grizzlies that we're kind of missing out on is the fact that they let go of DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson, and those guys would have been huge in that Lakers series. I think they would have – there's a potential that those guys, that amount of depth, would have swung that series in, in the Grizzlies' favor again. I just think they're not in a position to do the, hey, we're going to – we're going to develop these end of bench guys. We're going to develop a David Roddy. We're going to develop a Jake Luravia and a Zaire Williams, but we're also going to try to compete for a championship. Yeah. I think that is, you can only do that when your prospects are super special, when they're guys that are ready right now, like a Kawhi Leonard was in San Antonio. You can only do that when there's guys who pop off the screen really quickly. We talk about like Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole has been hot again, on, off again, but in that last year run, he was special. He was, he was great for the Warriors. Yeah. And he was the different. He was a difference maker for them on that type of salary. I will see what happens. I, I just think when it comes to the Grizzlies right now, they're in a position where they can be aggressive and they can make themselves positioned to potentially be like a legitimate championship contender next season. Sacramento Kings, um, look, great season. We've talked about it so many times on this podcast. How the Kings should be holding their head high, regardless of what happened in that first round series. It was a tough uphill battle for them to defeat the NBA champions who have been there, done that a million times, and sort of were running the same system the Kings had that Mike Brown adopted, but the Warriors had just done it a million and one times and had seen every single variation of it, so they had the upper hand consistently. Um, I think there are some legitimate questions about how this roster looks moving forward, especially for a playoff run. I mean, 
you wonder about the lack of size in the front court next to Sabonis. That was a huge issue in game seven. I mean, Kevon Looney absolutely demolished Sabonis in the front court in terms of offensive rebounding. You worry about some of the defensive limitations of the team, especially on the wings and at the point of attack. So yeah, there's, there's some, there's some concerns for the roster, but overall, I think they've built a good foundation. I think this is a good foundation of, of offensive minded players. I think the Sabonis Fox plus all these shooters combination is enough to be a good regular season team consistently. And that is more than what the Kings can say for a very long time. So I don't want to take that away from them. I think regardless of what happens moving forward, this team will be a very, very good team moving forward for the foreseeable future with Fox, with Sabonis, with all those guys around them. I think they can be a 44 plus win team almost every season. Like that, that's a good recipe to win regular season games. Mm -hmm. The playoff is a little bit different of an animal. And I wonder what happens with a guy like Harrison Barnes, who's a free agent this summer. Trey Lyles, who's a free agent this summer, who's been good for them. There's some questions about like, okay, how do we refine this roster? Maybe add some size. Uh, And I don't know which way they go. I don't want them to be overly aggressive, though. I think I'm the opposite when it comes to the Kings and Grizzlies, where it's like the Grizzlies are in position right now to win and they should be going for it. They have the assets. They have the stuff that they can go for. The Kings don't necessarily have the assets. They don't have a ton of cap space as well. They can probably refine the roster with some stuff, but I don't think they should be overly aggressive and say, oh, we have the opportunity to win now, so let's go ahead and you know trade all our, our whatever assets remaining for this B-tier star. I think they should probably just refine the roster, add some bench players that can maybe help this team. Uh, I don't know who those players necessarily would be. I have to go and look at the free agent list, but I don't want them to be super aggressive. Where do you lie on the Sacramento Kings? Yeah, it's tough because on one hand, I'm like, okay, you you start with Harrison Barnes. Is he probably going to stay? Is he going to leave? First round exit, question marks, What whatever. But whether he leaves or whether he stays, I think the current group that they have is solid. Like you mentioned, I think they have a good foundation and, and to continue to build on. Um, they do have a first round pick this year and they've got a decent amount of second round picks moving forward. They also have the Rashawn Holmes contract to kind of move around, which I think plenty of teams out there, even though he hasn't, he's lost his spot in the rotation in Sacramento. I do think that there are plenty of teams out there that would be interested in a ten, roughly 10 to $12 million uh, kind of range for someone like Rashawn Holmes. And so yeah. I think the Kings have moves that they can make while also having a Davion Mitchell, obviously a Keegan Murray. We all saw what he did this season to internally develop at mm-hmm. the same time. Sabonis, his free agency is the next year will be the final year of his contract. And so you have to make sure that you're moving in the right direction before he hits unrestricted free agency. And so I do expect the Kings to stay aggressive, but I'm not sure I'm with you. I'm not sure that they're in a position to necessarily go out and say, oh, somebody came available. Oh, well, Keegan Murray's our young star. So let's include that in a deal and try and get like, I don't see that happening. And so I think this playoff time around um, guys like Alex Len, Trey Lyles, um, Terrence Davis, even certain guys filled their roles, played their roles. Well, Terrence Davis, I would love to actually have a conversation on that because there were a couple of moments where I was like, oh my God. Some really good, some not so not so he's, great, and he's, some uh, bad mess ups. And as as I've seen, uh, he spent his first couple of years with the Raptors. <laughs> he is very much a Jordan Poole type player, where it's like yeah. he, he'll he'll catch fire and then he'll make five awful plays and decisions. Yeah, yeah. So, and so yeah. The, those Terrence Davis is one where I think that they like him, but I am. I'm curious where they see him in their plans, but guys like Alex Len, Trey Lyles, I think really established themselves as key role players for this team to continue to build on. And so I think regrouping and bringing the same group back, whether that includes Harrison Barnes, whether it doesn't, I think they'll still find them themselves in a good position, especially adding a late first round pick and a loaded draft. I think that they'll, they'll, they'll continue to be able to build on that. Um, and, and you're going to have to get get crafty on the trade market and go out and find the Kevin Herders, go out and find the guys that maybe their situation has run its course somewhere else. You bring yeah. them in to try and buy into what Sacramento is building on. And I think that is their path forward. 
Could Dylan Brooks be a, you know, I, I just feel like he fits in like 20, <laughs> there's like 30, te- there's like 29 teams that Dylan Brooks could fit in. Uh, and I know that's yeah. crazy to say because it seems like everybody, everybody hates Dylan. If you know, everybody <laughs> hates Chris. Um, there's your double just, sign and swap for Harrison. There Barnes. you go. Yeah. Hey, they, hey, bring Harrison Barnes back, right? Bring Harris, Harry B back <laughs> in Dallas. Um, I don't know, man. We'll see. We will see what happens with the. <laughs> we'll I love see. It. What, I love it. We'll see. We'll see what happens with the Sacramento Kings. Uh, regardless, I think they have a lot to look forward to. I mean, them and the Grizzlies. Really, they, they, we we are. I'm not being pessimistic about any of these teams. I just think there there's there's two ways to look at this. There's either being aggressive in the summer, being a team that is trying to go for it, and a team that is trying to. Uh, just see where they're at. And I think the Kings are still in a position where it's like, just see where they're at. Uh, another team is the Atlanta Hawks. We can talk about that maybe quickly, but I think they're also in a position where it's like, let's just see where we're at. We don't need to do anything too aggressive. They made a lot of moves over this last year, whether it be trading for DeJounte Murray, switching their coach, trading for a guy like Sadiq Bay. Uh, they have some young, interesting players at the back end of their roster between Jalen Johnson, AJ Griffin, Onyeka, Kongwu. I would just like to see what this Hawks team is a full season with under Quinn Snyder. I think, I think they're in a position where it's like, Hey, let's just go see what's out there. Let's go. We don't need to do anything too aggressive. We don't need to talk about Trey young trades. I think the Hawks looked good against the Celtics. I thought they showed some promise against the Celtics. And I think if I'm Atlanta, I'm looking at that and saying, Hey, you know what? If we were given a full season with, with Quinn Snyder, Maybe we wouldn't be in the position where we'd have to face the Celtics in the second round. Maybe we'd be the fifth seed and we'd be facing the New York Knicks. And now we'd be in the second round if we could beat the Hawks, if if we could beat the Knicks. I think I think they're looking at themselves and saying, let's see what happens for a full season of this. And then we'll reevaluate. We don't yeah. need to be too rash about what happens with Trey Young and the future and all that stuff. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Where do you feel on that? Yeah, I, I do agree. I think that that's kind of the biggest piece is having more time under Quinn Snyder the biggest name that we continue to see get thrown out year after year is John Collins. When are they finally going to move John True. Collins? And so maybe going into the off season, there are a lot of teams that are going to touch base on John Collins, but I'm with you. I don't think now is the time to move, to move him. Um, you never know if something pops up in the draft. Those are kind of, kind of wacky one-off situations that are not comparable from year to year, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. with John Collins, I don't think that now is the time to move him. I think you start the season and see what you can do with Quinn Snyder. And then if you're kind of if maybe if things aren't going in the right direction, Onyeka Kongwu, Jalen Johnson are stepping up. If you want to revisit that come trade deadline when you can really maximize on some leverage, I think that is the time to to potentially pull the trigger on John Collins. But right now, to do some sort of you know crazy reshuffling of the deck, I wouldn't do that because Atlanta is a deep team. Quinn Snyder is a good coach, um, and I think that right now building on what they have and and again you mentioned AJ Griffin. Jalen Johnson, those are two guys that really performed this year. They just could not put the pieces together uh, as a whole. And so I think just giving them a little bit more time before you make some drastic move is the right path forward for the Hawks. So it's, it's funny because I bet there's someone who's listening to this podcast saying, but you guys just said for the Grizzlies that they can't toggle two timelines. What the hell does that mean with the Atlanta Hawks? Well, yeah, there's, there's – there, I'll counter with this to anybody who may think that way. One, I don't think the core, the nucleus, when it comes to Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, is as good as the Grizzlies' core. I think that goes without saying. I think the Grizzlies have shown that they can win a championship with this current situation and that now they shouldn't they shouldn't really focus on development. They should focus on trying to win that NBA championship. The Hawks, on the other hand, they're in a position where, yes, they have that core nucleus, but it isn't as formidable as that Grizzlies' you know, core trio, if you will. The other side of it is, the younger guys on the Hawks are further along than the younger guys on the Grizzlies. David Roddy, Jake LaRavia, Zaire Williams are not as far along as Onyeka Kongwu, Jalen Johnson, and, AJ, and even A.J. Griffin. So I think those guys, you can rely on them being your you know, rotation pieces next year, whereas with the Grizzlies, you're sort of second-guessing yourself, seeing if Zaire or any of those other guys will actually be rotation players moving forward, especially next season. Uh, I think that's the key distinction I would make between those teams. And I think the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies and Hawks, the major difference is the fact that like the Hawks kind of got to see where they're at, whereas the Grizzlies know where they're at. They just have to make these next couple of moves to be able to refine and, and really formidable, like become formidable, become that like 
a tier championship contender that everybody expects them to be at some point. Uh, we will see what happens. Anything else you want to mention on the Hawks front, on the offseason outlook front, on anything we've talked about so far? I know we're not talking Lakers Warriors right now, ladies and gentlemen. The game has not started yet. We will have that reaction for you guys on the next podcast. Uh, the Miami Heat are still up, by the way. It is at near the end of the third quarter, and they are still up. The Knicks' bigs are in foul trouble, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. We will talk about that on Thursday. Is there anything you want to finish up before we head out? There is one quick thing as I'm watching this game, uh, yeah. kind of circling, circling back real quick to a topic that we talked about before. When I'm watching R.J. Barrett and how he's playing in this playoffs, I think when we talk about the gradual development forward as he's getting older, getting more experience, getting playoff experience, this playoffs, I'm seeing the game slow down for him in a way that I haven't seen it before. I think he's yeah. look, he's he's rising to the occasion, but he's also he's playing at a mature level where it's not this. I mean, he's always there are always going to be bad moments for every single player, but before I had significant questions on R.J. Barrett and his his readiness, but as I Every game, every game, this playoffs that he continues to play, I'm like, he looks more and more ready for the moment. So I think he deserves a lot of credit there. Comfortability. Uh, it's it's a very underrated aspect. When the game slows down for a person, everybody always wonders what that means. But it really just means that the person, it, it, it does slow down. If you've played any professional sport, okay, not maybe professional. Actually, I bet there's very <laughs> few people who are listening to this podcast who have played a professional sport, including myself. Um if you've played sports in general, you'll know what that means in the sense that like there is a moment where th where you were seeing things a couple of steps ahead of what is actually happening. And now you're starting to dictate and kind of bend things to your will, if you will. And maybe that's happening for RJ Barrett right now, which is awesome. That'd be that'd be great to see. Folks, we appreciate you guys for tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast. My voice is gone after this thing hopefully it'll be good to go by thursday night when we record once again um from lauren from myself we appreciate you guys for tapping in to the objective basketball podcast and we will see you guys later take care follow hosts at just s Barahini on all socials and at the lauren gun on twitter the objective basketball podcast delivering the nba to you like no other